6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 1 Chronicles, chapters 14 through 17. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. Big mistake. Nathan didn't do what he should have done, as you'll find out in a minute. Nathan shouldn't shoot off his mouth until he knows what God's will is. It sounded like a good idea. Boy, everything's going really great with this big celebration. Do all that's in your heart, for God is with thee. It came to pass that same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord... Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. Whoops. Wow. Nathan must have been set back. God continues, For I have not dwelt in the house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedars? Now therefore, thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from a sheepcote, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with thee, whithersoever thou hast walked, and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Also I will ordain a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place, and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more as at the beginning. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will, the Lord will build thee an house. He's gonna, he doesn't want David to build him a house. He's going to build David a house. And what he means there, the word house here means a dynasty, not a physical house. I'll build the house. And it shall come to pass that when thy days are, be expired, thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee. Here in Chronicles, it doesn't mention here in Samuel, equivalent passage, it mentions Saul. He's talking about here. He took it away, took it away from Saul. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore. Wow. So this is the Davidic covenant. It's commonly referred to in 2 Samuel 7, which is essentially exactly what we read here uh, in Chronicles. And what we've just read affects everything that follows. Everything that follows in the Bible and everything that follows in the history of mankind is impacted by 2 Samuel 7 or this pas uh, passage in Chronicles. 
It's the divine confirmation of a throne of the world in Israel, not just for Israel. It also confirms the perpetuity of the Davidic dynasty. A very famous event in Matthew 22, you may recall, where Jesus confounds the Pharisees. The Christ, whose son is he? Son of David. Well, how can David say, to say to my Lord, my Lord, he quotes Psalm 110. The my Lord, the possessive, that whole argument hangs on a yot, a, little, a single little thing that you and I think is an apostrophe, which put on Adonai makes it possessive. My, how can King speak of his son as my Lord? And they couldn't answer. They're confused. I love that. The Davidic covenant is unconditional. You can canvas the words and you won't find any condition that they have to fulfill to make it. This is an unconditional commitment that affects everything that follows. When there's a civil war and half the nation has just gone from bad to worse, they're wiped out. The other half isn't much better. But he won't wipe them out. He puts them in exile for 70 years for a very specific reason. We'll cover when we get there. But they're promised to come back because of his commitment to David. And of course, the real reason this affects you and me is because of the messianic implications, because obviously this is going to be fulfilled by none other than Jesus Christ. His whole commitment is, is the fulfillment here. These are the main key points. Divine confirmation of the throne of Israel, the perpetuity of the Davidic dynasty, the fact that the covenant is unconditional, and the messianic implications. Matthew 1.1 speaks of the son of David, the son of Abraham is the whole point of it. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is the title that he steps forward to take the seven seal book. So the, what I like to call the scarlet thread continues. God said in the Garden of Eden that salvation would come from the seed of a woman. That was, in other words, God would use mankind to redeem the whole creation. Specifically, through Abraham, a very, the specific nation, and Jacob, and then the tribe, Judah, and then, of course, David, the family. So we have the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 17. We have it was promised to Judah specifically, Genesis 49, 10. And then David was anointed by Samuel for Samuel 16. And David was aware of his election. We took the time. We should probably insert in your notes here, real, insert in your notes to read Psalm 2 from end to end, a, 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 a discussion between the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost over the future of the Son. And, uh, and of course, Psalm 110, that, Je that Jesus himself uses to confound the Pharisees. All the prophets attest to a Davidic Messiah. Isaiah 9, 11, Jeremiah 30, Ezekiel 34, 37, Amos 9, goes on and on and on. In fact, at the Council of Jerusalem, in Acts 15, when they have this big debate, James draws upon Amos 9 to point out this is exactly what God predicted, that he'd first call out a people of his name, the Gentiles, and then he would reestablish the tabernacle of David. Read, the, read that very carefully in, the, in the Acts chapter 15. So according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? 
And yet, this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God, for thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come, and hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. O Lord, for thy servant's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee according to all that we have heard in our ears. That, in, that one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom the God sent, that God went to redeem to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness, by driving out nations from before thy people, whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever, and thou, Lord, becamest their God. Wow. How easy it is for us as New Testament Christians to ignore or overlook or fail to countenance the role of Israel in God's program, not just in the Old Testament, but in the future. One of the great tragedies in the Christian church today, widespread, virtually, I won't say all denominations, but certainly a majority of them, where they fail to understand the role of Israel in God's plan. And Paul hammers away at this in three chapters in Romans and elsewhere, that God is not finished with Israel. They're going, to, they're going to be the major players. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever, and thou, Lord, becamest their God. You won't understand the book of Revelation unless you recognize the Jewishness from chapter 5 to the end. The Jewishness is gone in the epistles, the New Testament, pretty much. There are three, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. The distinctives. And uh, that all changes after chapter 4, book of Revelation. Strangely. It's very Jewish again. Book of Revelation has 404 verses, over 800 allusions from the Old Testament. The reason it sounds strange to our ears is because we haven't done our Old Testament homework. We as New Testament Christians need to understand our roots. Containing 1 Chronicles 17, verse 21, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out nations from before thy people, whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. Indeed he did. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever, thou and thou, Lord, becamest their God. Therefore, now, Lord, let the thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house be established forever, and do as thou hast said. Let him be established that thy name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. And let the house of David, thy servant, be established before thee. For thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house, Therefore thy servant hath found in his heart to pray before thee. And now, Lord, thou art God. Thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Now, therefore, let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever. For thou blessed, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. Davidic covenant. The house to be built for David would be a royal house, but it's a dynasty of kings. It's not a physical house. It's a dynasty of kings. 
It would originate with him, but would never end. That's a heavy term. Never end. That's out of seven, second, uh, second Samuel 7.16. The kingdom and its throne would be permanent, a realm over which the son of David would reign forever. But there's a blood curse on the royal line in, in Jeremiah 22.30. And if you, have, if you get to a rabbinical friend, show him Jeremiah 22.30, in which God pronounces blood curse on the royal line. And the only way around that curse is a virgin birth. But you've got to let them f discover that for themselves. The promise that David and his seed would be kings fulfilled even the more ancient Abrahamic covenant. Blessing that the patriarchs would be the fathers of kings. That's just told in uh, Genesis 17 and also 35. And in fact, specifically to Judah, the great-grandson of Abraham, was given the explicit pledge that a promised ruler would come from him. Genesis 49.10. And Samuel specifically anointed David from Judah, of whom the Lord said, He is the one. So you can tie this all together. It's very important that you do. And now David was aware of this election by God, and I think he was aware of the theological significance of that election as part of the messianic line that would result in a divine descendant and a king from him. And that's in Psalm 89 as well as Psalm 2, as we talked about. And the prophets, as I went through before, attested the Davidic Messiah, the one that would rule forever. So we got it all from every which way. And uh, promised that the people of the Lord, David's kingdom Israel, would have an enduring land of their own, was also based on the earlier commitments of the Lord. The seed of Abraham, God said, would be given Canaan as a throne forever. It's fascinating to me to watch, day by day, the entire world challenge that land grant. That's why these issues are far bigger than simply Israel's right to exist, which they obviously have. I'm not demeaning that. But this is not territorial in that sense. It's far deeper. It's a theological war going on. God is either God or He isn't. And He gave that land to Israel forever. And so it's going to be interesting to see this play out. This is the very commitment that's being challenged in the world today. Both the land grant to Israel and the rule of David, in effect, ultimately. And what's fascinating is to see how rare it is for people of the Bible to recognize that, recognize Jesus' Jewishness and that he has the destiny to sit on the throne of David. The kingdom of David's greater son is talked about in Isaiah 9, Jeremiah 23, 33, all the way through Jeremiah, Ezekiel 37, Daniel 7, major verse, Hosea 3, Amos 9, Zechariah 14. But even a more important one, and that's Luke chapter 1. That's the one we'll hang our hat on. Gabriel appears to Mary and says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and call his name Yeshua. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. We need to understand that. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob for a thousand years. 
No, no, no. Forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. For a thousand years, Satan's bound. That's a whole different issue. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. There are people that would like to twist this around and say, well, he's gonna, he rules in, the, in our hearts. And I sure hope he does. But that's not what it's talking about here. The throne of David is not in your heart. The throne of David is a political throne that will be taking place on the planet Earth. So there we have it. So what do we do? You know, we watch the news, especially right now. Any time you pick up the radio or television or newspaper or whatever, it seems there's attacks on Israel. So we, we get kind of jaded, especially we're so comfortably a good distance away. The fact that the Muslims are starting to develop nuclear weapons and delivery capabilities that can reach us directly, we're more vulnerable than most people have any idea. That changes our picture a little bit. But we need to understand what's really at issue here. You know, it's fascinating to me, the most honest statement I've seen in the press is by Osama bin Laden. He said, this is a war between Islam and Christianity. Didn't say Israel, he said Christianity. I think that's interesting, not that he isn't, not that he isn't against Israel, but I think people who think that Islam has Israel as a target are very naive. That's just the first in the series. Um, they, they, they teach the kids a little rhyme. Today, Friday, then Saturday, then Sunday. Friday is their holy day. Saturday is Shabbat, Israel's holy day. Sunday is the Christian's holy day. And uh, their goal is not just Israel. Their goal is the planet Earth. All you have to do is read their writings, listen to their speeches, but especially listen to the leadership. These fanatics are not fanatics. They are zealots, zealously following the dictates of their religion and following the instructions of their religious leadership. These aren't splinter groups. They're centerline Muslims. And we need to understand what's going on here. And the war is against God. It's challenging the Abrahamic covenant. It's challenging the Davidic covenant. And they're all in for a big shock because they're going to discover that the ruler of the universe is Jewish. And very Jewish. He's as Jewish as they come. He's got a son of David, David himself. And uh, that is his role, to be the son of David. And, uh, you know, it's fascinating to see many Jewish scholars see the intensity of the predictions of the Messiah in two ways. Messiah, the ruler, Messiah ben David, they call him, son of David. And another Messiah, they call Messiah ben Yosef, the suffering servant. And there are scholars, rabbinical scholars that have a two Messiah perspective. They think there's going to be two Messiahs. And they didn't realize it's the same Messiah in two visits. The first advent, he was the suffering servant and went to the cross on our behalf. But the second return in power is going to set up his kingdom. We need to understand that. And uh, I saw a bumper sticker. It's a little irreverent, perhaps, but it's very descriptive. He says, Jesus is coming soon, and boy, is he angry. <laughs> and uh, it gets the point across, anyway. But it's fascinating how many Christians fail to do the same thing. They think he's coming back once. No, he's coming back twice. Once for his church and once for Israel. And just as Israel has failed to see the two comings, 
many Christians fail to see the two comings. There's the hapazo and the coming in power as two distinct descriptions throughout the Old and New Testament, strangely. No, we need to do our homework. And it's an exciting time to really understand what the Bible says. Because without it, you haven't, you haven't got a chance of really understanding what's going on. And uh, you want to... And as you watch, the more you, you need to understand some of the background of Islam. It's interesting that the Shiites and the Sunnis hate each other almost as, mu almost as much as they hate Israel. And uh, uh, you need to recognize that the Shiites are primarily Iran and Yemen. That's it. The rest of Islam is Sunni. Varying degrees, but still. And uh, so it's interesting that uh, you'll see Muslims killing Muslims because they're not radical enough. If you live in a Muslim area, you've got a real, trying to be moderate, you've got a real threat on you. Because the radicals will force you to become radical. Or they'll kill you too. Uh, being a Muslim is not enough security that you're going to survive in that environment, strangely enough. No, it's a, it's a time of violence, time of lawlessness, a term the Bible uses. But to really understand the days, you need to do your, understand the, the, the root truths upon which all other things depend. And the Davidic covenant, well, I should say, let's start, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, are essential to really understand because they put to the lie most of what you see printed in our media or see on television because it comes from maybe very well-intentioned but misinformed people, even Christians who haven't done their homework. So be sure you do yours. And don't trust me because I happen to have a view. Don't embrace it because I happen to have a view. I share my view candidly so you at least know where I'm coming from. But you need to study the Scripture yourself and come to your own study from your own roots. That's the only, thing that will, you'll, the only way you'll survive the coming turmoil. I think the rapture's close, but I think there's dark times even closer. And I don't mean the Great Tribulation, but I think in this country the rate of decay is accelerating. We're a lawless society. You cannot get law you, 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 courts. You cannot find a sense of heritage even in our government. The only place you can find a sense of heritage is in military families. You distance yourself from a military family, and most people have no concept of what founded this country, what it's really all about or was all about. And we've replaced our... We've got this multiculturalism, which is designed specifically to separate us from that heritage. And uh, we just need to understand the realities. We need to understand the venom that is being brewed in our pagan schools, government-controlled schools. Serious stuff. Serious stuff. Real challenges for every one of us as parents and grandparents and what have you. So do your homework. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. I encourage you to go ahead and read the next four chapters uh, and uh, chapters 18 through 21. And then also, you might just familiar, go, go back and refresh your notes on 2 Samuel and uh, get a feeling for that as we go forward. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you that you are a God that delights in making and keeping promises. And we thank you, Father, you've gone to such extremes to demonstrate your commitment to that faithfulness. We thank you, Father, for that faithfulness. For we know that you promised that if we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we just cling to that commitment, Father. We do seek that forgiveness, for we know that we need you. 
And we come before your throne acknowledging our sins of presumption and ingratitude. How often we presume upon you, upon your grace and upon your mercy. Oh, Father, we would seek to be delivered from that presumption. We just flee to your infinite mercy. We thank you too, Father, for your forgiveness, for we are so, we've been so ungrateful every day as we behold your creation and your faithfulness. How we need to stand in awe of just who you are and the extremes you have gone to that we might live, that we might have access to you, that we might have fellowship with you. We, we, we are stunned as we begin to understand the gulf that exists between sinful man and the holy God on the one hand. And yet, Father, that there is right now as we speak a man sitting on the throne of the universe. We pray, Father, that you would increase in each of us a renewed passion, a new hunger for your word. Draw us ever more deeply into your word, Father, that we might behold you, that we might grow in grace and the knowledge of you, that we might be more effective stewards of all the resources and all the opportunities that you've brought before us. Yes, Father, we would ask that you would illuminate that path before us, help us prepare for the days ahead by growing in your word. As we commit ourselves this night into your hands, without any restrictions, any reservations, no exclusions, we commit ourselves wholeheartedly into your hands in the name of Yeshua, the Son of David, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.